Praise God. Genesis chapter 4 is our master text. Go ahead and be turning there, if you will. And uh, as you are, um, I just want to give you some preliminary thoughts. We haven't come to the end uh, or a stopping point on this series that we've been doing uh, called Greater Grace, where we're learning about how to walk in greater measures of God's grace and favor. And we're all interested in doing that, I hope, right? And the primary emphasis of this teaching, of course, is that from the scripture that we looked at in the earlier teaching, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Uh, and because pride is such a big issue for everyone, folks, and because pride can be so subtle and can go undetected, I believe the, uh, the Lord wants us to take our time through this series and not rush through it, uh, because the way that we respond to these teachings could literally determine the courses of our lives going forward. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and read this master text in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you would stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And it says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, key verse right here, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> well, as we saw there <clears throat> in that master text, Sin will try to sneak up on you, and that's what it did with Cain. And as you know, if you read the rest of that passage, uh, he went on to murder his brother Abel. So I want to explore that for just a moment. Sin will try to sneak up on you, and it, that's definitely true of pride. And we see some pride there that uh, Cain was dealing with. See, Pride will try to disguise itself so you don't easily recognize it. And when you least expect it, it pounces and comes out in some very ugly and damaging ways. And this was definitely true of Cain here. See, rather than to humble himself and just simply do what God said, he resisted God's authority and felt angry that his brother's offering was accepted and his wasn't. But his pride would not allow him to uh, repent and change direction. Rather, it was Cain's pride, you got to get this, it was Cain's pride that led him to nurture his anger. Have you ever nurtured your anger? That's pride. It was his pride that caused him to nurture his anger. And then one thing led to another, of course, and he eventually killed his own brother for something very petty. And folks, I want you to know that 100% of that was born in pride. You know, the reason this is such an important topic, so much so that we've spent almost two months of teaching on 
pride and humility now is because, listen, pride unchecked will lead some people to do terrible things sometimes. I want to say that again. Pride unchecked will lead some people to do terrible things sometimes. And folks, almost all the problems in marriages, as an example, have their roots in pride. So most of the problems that we face as believers stem from pride. Most of the injuries that we experience are self-inflicted because of pride. And to quote Charles Spurgeon once again, self is the greatest enemy of the believer. Now, in honor of Mother's Day and all the mothers that are represented here, let me just insert this little caveat, if I may. When you were young and your mama lit up your backside, or whatever she did to get your attention, you know what she was doing? She was driving some of that pride out of your selfish little heart. That's what she was doing, okay? And that video that we just watched by Ann Wilson, uh, uh, That's Why God Made Mamas, that video featured all the, the sweet and soft things that we remember about our mamas. But don't forget, our mothers also exercised some tough love sometimes as well to get through those thick, self-serving skulls of ours. That's another reason why God gave us mamas. <laughs> okay? Now, I want to reiterate a point I made last week that being humble is not as easy as just saying, well, I'm going to flip a switch and not be prideful anymore. So you might write this down in your notes. Um, humility starts with a decision. But humility is more of a condition, not just a single action. See, humility and pride are conditions of the heart, you see. So, how does one get to the point then of becoming more humble? I want to reference John 15 here, the words of Jesus, verses 4 and 5. He says this, Remain in me, Jesus said, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches the one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a key verse right there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the more we behold God's presence, folks, the more we will see ourselves in truth. And one part of that truth is that, like this verse says, we really are nothing and have nothing to offer apart from Christ and his work in us. So that's the perspective that we need to maintain. But the other half of that truth is that, folks, we are God's children. And he loves us. And because he loves us so much, he will deal with us patiently as his children. And part of that parenting process as our Heavenly Father is that he will do whatever it takes to kill the pride in your life. And when that happens, don't despise the process and don't resist God like Cain did because God is treating us as his children when he does that. For example, I'm convinced now that part of the reason that God called me to be a pastor is because that was about the only way that he could expose all the pride in my life and get me to deal with it appropriately. 
Okay? So God put me in your life as your pastor, not just for your benefit, but for mine. Folks, we're all on this journey together. I'm on this journey with you. Okay? God still deals with me on stuff all the time. Okay? So we're on this journey together. So while this process hasn't always been fun for me, I'm happy that God loves me enough to help me to grow. And that has been a blessing. On that note, I want to tell you about an experience that I had about 20 years ago. Um, the church that we were attending at the time had uh, a, a lady minister uh, come, and uh, she was gifted in the prophetic and in the seer anointing. Now, I don't know if you, all of you know what that is or that terminology, but a seer, uh, the Bible talks about that, is someone who can see into the spirit and tell you things about yourself that only you and God know. That's called the word of knowledge. And, and many of those seers are also gifted in the prophetic where they can see things about certain people and what God is doing with them and they can speak to them about what God might want to do in a certain situation, in a certain element of your life in the future. So that's what that lady was um, gifted in. And, um, and when she ministered, I was one of the people that she ministered to and she read my mail on a couple of things which got my attention because these were things that only God and, and me knew. So that got my attention, that word of knowledge um, that these types of individuals who are gifted in that operate in, that word of knowledge is for the purpose of getting your attention so that it validates what's about to be said regarding your future. That's how that ministry works, okay? So, um, so anyway, she read my mail on a couple things, which really, you know, that got my attention. And then she said something kind of strange. She said, speaking on God's behalf, she said, I squeezed you until every drop came out. And I didn't know what to think about that, especially since she phrased it in the past tense. But looking back now, I can see that she was speaking prophetically about my future. You know, God doesn't live in time, right? And he was saying that there would be a time in my life where he would put me in a place where I would be squeezed and that pride was going to get exposed so that it would come out and I could deal with it. But I wouldn't recognize that process until a lot of that was in the past. Does that make sense to you? So let's deal with this question for a moment. Does God put the squeeze on his children sometimes? Well, go read Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplines those he loves. Read John chapter 15. He prunes us to make us even more fruitful. So, if listen, if God can't get the pride out of your life by you listening to messages like this and studying your Bible diligently, well, then folks, he'll use different methods. And praise God he does because, again, pride left unchecked has the potential to ruin you. Folks, I know people who are older now who are very unhappy with the way that their lives have turned out. You know, they're lonely, many of them, because in their pride, they've hurt so many people and so many people have turned their backs on them and abandoned them, even family members. And God wants better for us than that. So I hope you're listening closely to the voice of the Holy Spirit in this teaching and in these teachings throughout this series. I hope you're listening closely 
to the voice of the Holy Spirit and what he may, might be saying to you personally. So this morning, I'm going to talk about some of the ways that pride tries to hide. In other words, some very subtle forms of pride and how it tries to go unrecognized in your life. And I'm actually going to be doing this uh, in the, the, the several teachings that follow. But I'm going to give you two of those ways that pride tries to hide today. All right? And the first one is maybe really surprising to you, and it's shyness. That's one way pride tries to hide. Now, I realize that we don't have a lot of shy people in our congregation. We all seem to enjoy wonderful fellowship here, and I love that. But I do feel like this is something that needs to be addressed because one of the things that smartphones and social media and video games has done to people is to retard their ability to socialize face-to-face. And when people don't interact well in public, especially if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, it not only prevents you from growing as a person and enjoying the relationships that you could otherwise be enjoying, but it also has the potential to hinder the gospel. Now, I realize that this point here seems counterintuitive, that a shy person could actually deal with pride. But let me give you an insightful quote here to... um, to set this up. So this is by Andre Debus, I think is how his name is pronounced, and he says, shyness has a strange element of narcissism, a misguided belief that how we look, how we perform is truly important to others. Just want to let that sink in for a second. How we look and how we perform to others doesn't really mean that much to other people. As a matter of fact, when you mess up, it's almost endearing sometimes because it makes people feel better about their own mess-ups. Okay? All right. So let me give you our first key concept this morning, this teaching. Uh, Shyness, while not an overt form of pride, is nevertheless still a focus on self because it never takes into consideration the feelings of others. You can write that down in your notes. Shyness, while not an overt form of pride, is nevertheless still a focus on self because it never takes into consideration the feelings of others. Okay, so let's unravel this. Now, um, being a person myself who has struggled with uh, some anxiety in public speaking in the past, I mean severe anxiety in the past, uh, I happen to be sympathetic with how crushing shyness can be for some people. I mean, it's not like you can turn a screw or flip a switch and, and make this go away. There's something deep in the psyche of some people that almost chokes them in some social situation. So I want to acknowledge that, all right? So let me help you with this if I can. You know, I've, I've learned that uh, shyness comes across to other people oftentimes as rudeness. Let me say that again. Shyness often comes across to other people who may not know you that well as rudeness. I mean, how are other people supposed to know when someone is shy if all the social cues that they get are coldness, right? Others might think that a person like that is arrogant, not shy, if they don't know you really well, okay? Folks, I've met many people, not just a few, but many people who won't look you in the eye when they talk to you, they won't offer any pleasantries when they meet you, and they won't even smile 
oftentimes, which, which is the easiest thing to do, by the way. And two of those things that I just said are really easy to do. See, looking a person in the eye and smiling are not difficult, okay? Those two things right there, if you do, do just those two things right there, that communicates warmth and friendliness. Now, in fact, let's try and exercise for a moment if we could. Um, this might seem a little hokey to you, but I just want to drive home a point here. So um, turn to someone near you, not a family member. Turn to someone near you and just look them in the eye and smile real big. There you go. That wasn't too hard, was it? Your face didn't break, did it? Okay. So I, I know that may have seemed a little hokey, but I, again, there's, there's method to my madness. I wanted you to see just how easy that is, okay? Now, the third thing, offering some pleasantries isn't hard to do either once you've done it a few times. So here's one. How's your day going today? That's not too tough, is it? Okay? Now, if the other person is not very talkative either, the only answer you might get to that uh, question is, fine. Okay, then you can follow up by saying, busy day? Something. Ask questions to let people know that you're, in, you're interested in them and just show a little bit of warmth, right? You know, listen, folks, people who give in to their shyness rather than fighting it are missing out on a lot in life. They miss out on the chance to minister the love of God to people, for one thing. And that's why I've taught my children that shyness is not okay. It's not cute, and it's not endearing once you get past seven or eight years of age. So I've really worked with my children to look people in the eye, shake their hand, smile, be engaging. And I realize that not all people are talkative, so they may not be real witty with what to say, but at least you can do that much. Smile, look them in the eye, shake their hand, be engaging, ask a question or two. At least that much, right? So, again, shy people miss out on a lot in life because of that reason, by not showing the love of God to people like we otherwise could, but also because they miss out on the enjoyment of getting to know people. There's a lot of people that are really great to get to know. Some, not as much as others, but there's a lot of people that are really great to know. And if you're shy, you miss out a lot of, on a lot of those opportunities. Now, for example, um, I've talked to some people who persist in being so cold, even after I've asked a few questions and tried to draw them out, that I just have to eventually give up and walk away. And in some cases, I can tell that it's not arrogance that I'm dealing with, but it's genuine shyness. And I try to draw some of those people out, but they just won't budge in some cases. So I eventually just have to give up and walk away. And I feel for those people, but I just have to give up after a while. And here's why this has a subtle element of pride. You see, a person who withdraws like that is thinking of 100% self. Maybe this is a concept you hadn't thought about before where shyness is concerned. But when a person withdraws like that, that's 100% thinking of self. And here's why. See, a person who is cold like that in social interactions is giving no consideration to the feelings of the other person and how they just made that other person feel. 
I've seriously been in interactions before with people where I, I'm like, I almost got a little agitated, like, are you serious? Are you serious going to sit there and be that rude? And then afterward, I, I realize, okay, it's probably just some shyness. I probably need to get over being a little bit offended by that. But you, but you see the initial reaction that people can have? That's why this has an element of narcissism, of, of, of pride. You know, there are some people, in fact, who have come into this church for the first time. And when I meet them, I wonder if I already did something wrong that made them mad. <laughs> because they're not very friendly. Okay? They don't offer a smile. They barely talk. And they, it seems like they're purposefully stiffening themselves or something. And after a time, I, I realize, again, it takes me a minute... But after a time, I realized they're just battling some shyness, so I try to be gracious about that. Um, but it comes across, at least initially, as extremely unfriendly. And that's why this is a subtle form of pride, because um, what that person might be saying to themselves is, well, I have nothing to offer this conversation. But in reality, what they don't really realize, maybe, is that they don't really care that much what the other person thinks or feels. I hope you're tracking with me. Now, folks, listen, I speak with some authority on this because this is a battle that I have fought personally. You know, when I was younger, the way I got around my social shyness and awkwardness is to get liquored up a little. And then I got really loose, way too much loose. So I don't advise that. Okay? But when I got saved and I wasn't relying on alcohol anymore, I discovered that this was really a problem that I had, and I had to deal with it in a healthy way. So I exercised myself to break out and make the first move in social situations, even though sometimes I didn't feel like I had that much to say. But at least I put myself out there and gave it a shot. And you know, you know what I discovered? I discovered that at least half the people that I meet are shy too. And they're waiting for the other person to make the move and talk to them. They're waiting, they're waiting back in the wings, waiting for someone else to make the first move and talk to them. That's what I've discovered. And I didn't really realize that earlier in my life. But the more that I broke out and made the first move myself, those people that I thought were initially kind of rude or kind of withdrawn, once you start engaging them and ask about their job or their family, sometimes they just open up to you. It's like, wow, where'd this come from? Okay, but they were too shy to make the first move. All right, now, this isn't in your notes, but here's a related point on this topic. Humility is not necessarily a mousy disposition. And I think that's a really important um, angle here. Humility is not necessarily a mousy disposition because it's possible to be a strong personality but still be humble. Okay, you know, it was written of Moses that he was the most humble man on the earth at his time. Yet Moses was a strong leader, folks, a, a man of action. And when the scriptures say that Moses was the meekest man on the earth at the time, guess who penned those words as inspired by the Holy Spirit? Moses did. Read the book of Numbers is where that appears. Moses penned the book of Numbers as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But that too, believe it or not, actually shows that he was a humble person um, because, you know, a prideful person 
If they were writing the scriptures and God inspired them to write of yourself that Moses was the most humble person on the earth, a prideful person would go, I can't write that. What would people think about me? So do you see the subtle pride here? But Moses was humble enough to not care what people thought about that, but just obeyed God and wrote what God told him to say. So do you see how subtle pride can be sometimes? And I want you to also remember that Moses started out very shy and unsure of himself. You know, he wasn't an eloquent speaker, and he resisted God's call at first to go to Egypt and free the Israelite people because he didn't like the fact that he had some sort of speech impediment or something. You know, he said, Lord, I am slow of speech. So he was insecure about the fact that he wasn't an eloquent or powerful speaker, apparently. But he eventually got over that because he did submit himself to God and God strengthened him and empowered him. You see, pride will keep you from doing what God wants you to do because you're unsure of yourself or because you don't like something about yourself. And folks, that's not humility. That's pride. Do you realize that? So remember I told you a few weeks ago that, that Donna and some other people in the congregation were encouraging me to film our teachings here and put them out on YouTube. And I initially rejected that idea based upon one thing, that I don't like the way my face looks on camera. And folks, that's not humility, that's pride. So I'll just call myself out on this too, okay? But by the way, side note, just so you know, our new camera came in the other day. And once we get everything figured out, I hope they'll be rolling in that in a few weeks, okay? So this mug of mine is going to be out there, and I won't watch it, but hopefully it'll bless some people. Okay, so point is, don't let shyness or being unsure of yourself fool you into thinking that you're humble. Don't let shyness or being unsure of yourself fool you into thinking that you're humble. We have to deal with that sort of pride as well if we're going to be used of God, like Moses did. All right, and that leads us to our next point, uh, another very subtle way that pride tries to hide, and that is in cowardice. Now, again, this may seem counterintuitive because it, it may be a surprise to you that cowardice is not a mark of humility, folks. And I'm not talking about fear here because, listen, a mark of courage is doing something that you're unsure about in spite of your fear. That's what courage is. But cowardice is different. Cowardice is giving in to the fear and letting it dictate what you do or don't do. That's cowardice. David was not a coward when he faced Goliath. And he wasn't prideful. See, his humble faith in God is what empowered him with the faith and courage to face down that giant. And I find it really interesting in that story how David's truly prideful older brothers accused him of being arrogant. Yet they were the ones who were terrified of Goliath because they had no faith in God. And David did. Folks, listen, key point for you right here. Look at the screen. Faith looks like pride to the faithless. Faith looks like pride to the faithless. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Faith looks like pride to the prideful. 
And that's what happened with David's brothers. Faith looked like pride to the prideful. Faith looks like pride to the faithless. Let me read to you what Revelation 21.8 says about cowardice. Uh, cowardice. It says, but to the cowardly. And look at the company that it puts cowardly in with, by the way. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, what's it mean here in this context about the cowardly suffering that kind of fate? Well, for people that care more about what people think rather than what God thinks, so they go along with the crowd. Even though God's pulling at them, they feel a pull from the Holy Spirit, but they continue to go along with the crowd. That's not going to get it because that's idolatry. You care more about what people think than what God thinks. That's the cowardly. But let's elaborate on this a little bit more because this relates to our previous point on shyness as well. See, at one point early in my life, I had a terrible problem with stage fright. Uh, I just literally froze up being in front of people uh, to speak. And then I got into my late teens and my early 20s, and I overcame that to a large degree. But then a funny thing happened after I got saved and I came to the Lord. It's like that stage fright thing came on me again tenfold, almost like it was demonic or something. Seriously. I've actually had panic attacks standing in front of people to speak as an adult. And boy, that's not fun. Talk about humiliating. Okay? And so when I sensed that God was calling me into the ministry, I was like, oh, I could already feel myself. I wasn't even talking in front of anybody yet. I could already feel myself going, God, are you sure? But when I became convinced that God was leading me into the ministry, I had no choice but to face down that giant in my life. I had to face my fear, folks. So I enrolled in a Toastmasters course, which is a, a course that helps people with public speaking skills. And when I went to those classes, I wore black pants just in case I wet myself. <laughs> it was bad, I'm telling you. My, my, my nervousness was bad in front of people. But I did what I was scared to do because I knew that I couldn't live like that and fulfill God's call on my life. And you know, my, my son Drew has had uh, some of those same tendencies. And so when Pam Hall asked Drew to pray recently at the National Day of Prayer event, um, he was truly freaked out for about a month leading up to that. And he could barely sleep the night before, but he humbly accepted that assignment, even though his flesh didn't want to do it. Yeah, didn't he, though? He did a great job. Yeah. So he faced his fears, folks. Um, and I told him afterward that, you know, Drew, facing your fears is one of the most important things that you will do in life. I'm going to say that again. Facing your fears is one of the most important things that you will do in life for two reasons. Number one, it forces you to be more reliant on God, which forces you to be humble. It forces you to be more reliant on God, which is a mark of humility. 
And number two, it forces you to grow as a person. Because if you just keep giving in to your fears and letting them rule you, folks, not only will you accomplish very little in your life, but eventually those fears will absolutely cause you to start caving in on yourself until eventually, worst case scenario, you become a recluse. And it's for that reason that God once said to Joshua as he was preparing to step in to fill Moses' shoes. Can you imagine trying to fill Moses' shoes when Moses went on to be with the Lord? I'm sure Joshua was pretty unsure of himself. So God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's the key. Our faith in God. Now, by the way, when we were there at, our, at the National Day of Prayer and, and uh, I was talking to some people afterwards and people were talking about what a great job that Drew did. Um, Pam Hall said something that really resonated with me and really helped me, and I, I'm hoping it'll help you. So Pam, if I could put you on the spot today, I would love for you to come up here and tell what you told me about uh, what Corey Ten Boom wrote, because I think that that's going to, I'm putting, she totally was surprised by this. I didn't, she didn't know I was going to ask her to do this. But just, just briefly, tell them what you told me. Yeah, like I never speak in front of anyone. Um, so... I was sharing with Pastor, um, when I became a, a, a Christian, I'd had a very shady past. And so I went to my first women's conference, and on a table they had books that were used and you could buy for money that would support the women's retreat. Well, there was a book, and it was called Tramp for the Lord, and it was by a woman named Corey Timboom. Now, I knew nothing of Corey Timboom, I didn't know anything about her life, but the title tramp for the Lord. I thought, hey, if she was a tramp, I can relate to her. And so I'm not kidding. So I picked the book up and Corey has already gone to be with the Lord. She had gone to be with the Lord prior to my picking up that book. But she meant she mentored me as a new Christian because I didn't have people to mentor me. And God used her book, Tramp for the Lord. And there was something that I read in that book that I carry with me even today. And it's what I shared with Pastor. He was talking about Drew. And I said, well, you know, one of the things that Corey says in her book, it's a beautiful illustration. Corey was a little girl and they had to travel by train. And so Corey would, they'd go to the train station, her and her papa. And uh, all the way there, Corey would pull on his jacket. I need my ticket, Daddy. I need my ticket, Papa. I need my ticket. All the way there. And this happened multiple times. And finally, one day, Corey's wise father stopped and looked her in the face. And he said, Corey, I know that you need a ticket. And when we get to the train station, just about the time we step on that train, I'm going to give you your ticket. The spiritual application blew my world apart. And I have had to rely on that so many times. And much like Drew, when you, when you do something, is to trust God knows what you need. We don't have to pull on his coattail. He's going to give us that at just the time we need it. And that's the most beautiful illustration that it's so teachable 
yeah. to someone who's walking in their faith, especially a new person. So that was what I shared with Pastor. That's great. So I, I love that uh, illustration because there is an amazing spiritual parallel there about walking in faith and just trusting God that he's going to come through at the moment that you need him to come through and not to be stressed out about it all the time. So we tend to take on ourselves what God wants to handle for us, right? See, he, he will give us what we need when it's needed. And that's why anxiety for the believer, this is how this applies to this teaching this morning. That's why anxiety for the believer is not... Humble, folks, it's prideful. Now, how can I justify that statement? Well, let me give you the words of Rick Renner on this. Rick Renner says, Anxiety is an ultimate form of pride because it implies we must carry the weight of a problem since we can handle it better than God. Trusting God with our troubles is one primary way we enter His rest and peace. He may use us to resolve problems, but, but we do it with Him for whom nothing is impossible. How can we not have rest and peace knowing Almighty God is taking care of our challenges? Praise God. So let me give you a related passage on that real quick. Matthew 6. This is a familiar one, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these monetary things will be added unto you. So we just need to relax and trust the Lord and not take so much burden and anxiety upon ourselves. As we start to come to a close here, I want to give you one last principle here about crushing pride, okay? And, uh, and that's found in uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. And our application point here is that fasting is an expression of humbling ourselves. If you want to crush pride, be a person that regularly fasts. I'm going to tell you why as we uh, begin to come to a close here. See, uh, let's read this, uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, 9, 3, together. He says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. In other words, he was humbling himself. When a person was really earnestly seeking God, they would remove their comfortable garments and they would put on this rough sackcloth and put ashes on their head and, and, and further humble themselves with fasting. That was a way that they earnestly sought God um, and humble themselves before him. Now that word supplication that you see there, supplication is an old word meaning to uh, humbly make a petition or an earnest request. So supplication is not just a request, but a humble and earnest request. And that's why supplication was often combined with fasting, because fasting is an act of humbling oneself. And I think there's something about frequent fasting as a matter of lifestyle that tends to kill pride as well, which is one of its purposes. So this is yet another way to deal a death blow to pride. But you know why more churches don't talk about pride, uh, more churches don't talk about fasting? 
and more Christians don't do it? It's because it's uncomfortable to our carnal nature, our carnal flesh, which so often tends to control us. And yes, being dominated by your carnal appetites is an outshoot of pride. Pride is carnal and carnality is prideful. They're pretty much one and the same. So I hope the Lord has been speaking to you throughout this series and in this teaching today, and we're not done. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to take my sweet time on this, and I'm not going to stop talking about greater grace and God opposing the proud and giving more grace to the humble until God tells me to stop. And, you know, we've only been on this, what, seven weeks now? I'm reminded, as I tell you from time to time, that Kenneth Hagin, when he was still alive and pastoring a church, he spent a year and a half on Mark chapter 11. A year and a half. And someone approached him one time and said, Pastor, when are you going to start talking about something else? And he said, when you get this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, if we spend six months on this, I'm, you know, I'm a type A kind of person. I like to just get her done and get in there and get through some topics and then go on to the next one. That's the way the Lord's wired me. But the Lord says, ah, put on the brakes on this one. We're going to slow down and, and take our time on this one. Okay, so I hope the Lord's been speaking to you throughout this series, but I want to give you one more last piece of encouragement before we go. St. Augustine, long time ago, said it was pride that changed angels into devils, and it is humility that makes men as angels. Praise God. Isn't that great? So that pride that led Satan and all his angels to follow him in that rebellion, that was a pride issue. And that's been born and kind of inborn in the DNA of mankind since the time of Adam and Eve, because in their pride, they resisted what God said and violated his instructions. So we have that kind of in our DNA. But you know what? As believers, we have a new DNA now. We have a new DNA. We have new, new natures. So it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Stand with me and pray, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.